Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, are we in for a winter of discontent with blackouts and power shortages? So, big question that has probably been uh, asked of you or you've told somebody else over the last few months is how your electricity bills have been creeping up and up. Well, Irish electricity prices did rise by almost 19% in the year to the end of August. And that's really only the start of why we're going to bring this conversation today. Because there are genuine fears that there could be a tighter squeeze in the winter months in this country. As the UK is plunged into a deep crisis and is seeing energy suppliers going bust, political leaders here are being asked about the situation. Leo Varadkar this week said the winter will be tight when it comes to energy supply and next year will be even tighter, he says. While Michal Martin in New York did look to reassure us all that everything will be fine and Eamon Ryan did the same, saying blackouts won't be on the cards for this winter. But what exactly is the situation? As well as those price hikes, two alerts about potential supply shortfalls were issued on this island in September. Could some of the acute problems being experienced in the UK impact on us here in Ireland? And given we rely so much on multinational companies doing business here, would electricity supply shortages send them running for the hills? How did we land here? What are we doing about it all? They're the questions we'll be asking today of our two guests, and they are business reporter Ian Curran and Wiren Lynch, a research officer with the ESRI, who has expertise in power system economics, interconnection, electricity markets, and regulation, so we could not get a more perfect guest. Uh, Wiren, thanks so much for joining us. Ian, thanks for coming back. Ian, I'm going to go to you first. Let's keep it simple to start here. How much of Ireland's electricity supply comes from what sources? Sure. Well, it's actually kind of difficult to get right up to the moment figures on this. Um, but I suppose the most recent kind of figures that we can look at are uh, are for 2018, right? And, and based on kind of CSO data, it shows that about like 54% of electricity production comes from gas, about 16% from peat, and about 4 to 5% from coal. Now, that, that the peat and coal percentages have likely declined uh, even, I suppose, further. They had already declined substi- uh, substantially over the, 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 the previous five years from about 2015 uh, or onwards. Um, actually, there's been a big change in Irish uh, electricity production since the 1990s because of this kind of switch to gas and away from, uh, from uh, coal and peat. Um, I suppose it's worth just bearing in mind that gas is cleaner than coal and peat, but it's still not actually a clean fuel. Um, so I suppose like as a result of that, I mean, you can put this in context by saying like, according to the EPA, the, the Environmental Protection Agency, about 18, there's been a, an 18% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions from electricity production since the 1990s uh, as a result of this kind of switch away from you know, very dirty fields like uh, coal and peat and towards gas. And we're in, where do we get all that from? We actually obviously import some of it. Um, who do we import from? How much? And technically, how does that even happen? How do we even do that? Uh, yeah, so how do you import electricity? I suppose you get electricity from one country to another the same way you get electricity around the grid. And that's by wires. So we can't transport electricity wirelessly yet. Um, some people sometimes talk about the idea of photricity, which is, you know, a photon is some light and light obviously travels without any wires, but electricity, you do need a wire. It would be great if we didn't, but we do. So the way we actually get electricity from other countries is literally by a, a wire, which kind of goes under the sea and undersea cable. And at the moment, we have two electricity cables 
to Great Britain. So one of them goes, um, it's called the Moyle Interconnector, and it goes from Northern Ireland to Scotland, and the other is called the East-West Interconnector, and it goes from uh, Kildare to uh, Wales. Um, and the Moyle has been there for a decent while. The East-West came on about 10 years ago or so, um, and we are also planning, and uh, the, it's looking like we are going to build another interconnector, a third one, to France this time. That'll be called the Celtic Interconnector. So you just have these cables lying on the seabed, the way they're actually laid. I thought this was kind of cool. They literally just kind of drop them off the back of a ship. Um, now, obviously, there's all sorts of work done on land to get it connected to, into the grid, but the cable itself is just is eventually very high-tech cable just fed off the back of a ship and it just lies on the seabed and imports electricity under the sea. That is kind of cool. Um, so so we do import a good good chunk of what we use. Um, who sets the electricity price then? How How is that decided? I mean, there's that's that's a really complicated question, I'm afraid. So I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll make it as simple as I can. Um, the first thing I'd say is we kind of need to differentiate between the price of electricity and the cost of electricity. So in some ways, you, you, you might immediately say, well, sure, what, what's the difference? Um, now, the thing is, if you think of, say, a gas plant or a coal plant, there's different types of costs. So there's the cost, first of all, of building it. So that's a capital cost. But then when it comes to running it, there's a cost to starting the unit off. So if your unit is sitting there and it's not running, it's not producing any electricity, and in particular, if it's cold, then to just actually get the thing to start up actually takes a decent bit of fuel. So you can think of that as kind of like turning the key in your ignition in the car. You need something to actually start it up. Then once it's started, so you have the cost of starting it. Then once it's started, we have what's called a no load cost. And that's the cost of, let's say, just running it. And um, so you can think of this as you've turned the, the key in your car, the engine is idling, it's ticking over, but you're not actually going anywhere. So that's the no load cost. And that's the fuel that you require just to keep it sitting there running, but not actually producing any electricity. And then finally, there's the marginal cost of producing the electricity itself. And that cost is uh, the cost of the fuel and the carbon to actually produce the electricity. And it's that marginal cost that sets the price of electricity. And the way we do that is we say, this is very simplistic now, but for each hour of the day, so at two o'clock on Thursday, two o'clock on Wednesday, whatever, we say, what was the most expensive marginal generator at the time? And then we say, what was their marginal cost? And that is the price. So we have all these other costs, the cost of building the units, the cost of starting the units, the no load cost of running the units. But when it comes to setting the price, we just set it off the marginal unit. And there's lots of kind of technical and economic reasons for doing that. In general, it's a good thing to do. But making it more complicated is the fact that we have more and more variable renewables on the system worldwide, but particularly in Ireland. And of course, they have no marginal cost because the fuel is free. They also don't have a start cost and they don't have a no load cost, but they have quite a large capital cost. So there are all sorts of questions about as we continue to set prices off the basis of the marginal generator, if the marginal generator is wind more and more of the time, then that means that the prices are going to go lower and lower, but the costs aren't necessarily going lower because we still have all of the capital costs. And then we also need to build backup generation for when the wind is not blowing. So is it that renewable section of our grid, the thing that's causing uncertainties around this winter? So this winter, there's a couple of things going on. So first of all, um, global gas prices have 
um, spiked significantly. We get our gas primarily from Russia, really. Um, we have some that we import from Carib, and then we get the rest through a pipeline from the UK, which is called Moffat, and um, they get some of their gas, they get some liquefied natural gas, um, and they get some from the Nordics, but essentially Russia kind of controls the gas supply to Europe, um, and gas prices have gone very high lately in general. So that's one source of the uncertainty. Um, another source of the uncertainty is the fact that at the moment we actually have two very large gas generators that have been out of action for a while and they've needed some maintenance now we're hoping that they'll get back by this winter but they do serve a good bit of um, of our demand so we'd certainly need those back sooner rather than later um, and then the other uncertainties are on the demand side so we have increasing demand from data centers and that's putting pressure on the grid as well um, and then the fact that over in britain they have other concerns um, around inflation, some Brexit-related concerns that mean that they've had um, a decent few um, companies going out of business, which unfortunately means that uh, they're having some uncertainties in their supply. And because we're interconnected to them and because we rely on them, particularly when, when the wind is not as strong, then those uncertainties might feed into us as well. Yeah, Ian, if we just turn to the UK for a while, because people will probably have heard bits and pieces coming out um, from the BBC or wherever they get um, more UK content. What problems exactly are people in the UK facing now? Well, I think, I mean, I suppose the fundamental problem uh, or symptom is uh, is these kind of, you know, skyrocketing uh, electricity bills. Um, the main causes of that are, are as Murren touched on there, I suppose one of the, the, the big issues, of course, is the, the soaring cost of wholesale gas prices. Now, that's a that's a global phenomenon and, and it's kind of a function a little bit of, of the pandemic. We, we saw kind of a lull, uh, a drop off in demand for, for, for gas and oil last year, obviously, as economies were shut down and that sort of thing. And as economies have reopened, this year um, it, it's affected the kind of normal rhythm of the market so it, it, it normally obviously gas prices would increase in the winter wholesale gas prices when there's huge demand for 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 gas and in the summer it would lull um, but but that hasn't happened obviously this year there, there's actually just been a constant booming demand for for uh, for gas globally one of the impacts of that it means that companies that store gas haven't been able to build up inventories of it uh, which means that there's less of it going around for the winter which has obviously caused the the, the, the price to actually rise and then there's another other issues as well we're in sort of touched on brexit related issues i suppose um there's been a lack of imports of gas that, that that's a big problem over there as well part of that is because of i suppose lower energy generation from wind over the summer in europe and then there was also a very specific problem which was a fire at a converter plant which connects the french grid to the British one, if I'm not mistaken, and obviously that happened last week, and it looks like that uh, plant is going to be out for a, at least a month, which is also uh, kind of choking off supply. So, so all of these issues are kind of conspiring uh, and uh, to, to cause electricity bills to increase over there, uh, and also putting huge pressure on companies as well. Yeah, so we Marin noted there that some companies have have gone bust. What has the impact been on uh, consumers so far? So people who just need to heat their homes or turn on the lights. 
I suppose I, 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 so the impact on consumers has been, like, I guess you could say relatively muted for the simple reason that um, uh, the regulator over there operates a cap system. Um, but because of this cap system, I mean, a lot of companies are, are saying that they're going out of business, a lot of electricity suppliers, uh, because there is this cap on electricity bills. Um, it means that obviously they just can't meet the costs of this skyrocketing, you know, wholesale gas prices. Um, and because consumers are paying less than market value for for their electricity bill so so the impact on consumers has been relatively muted but that not to say that there hasn't been an impact because the, the cap is going to have to rise by i think 12 percent in october and they're expecting another rise in april and that's in a bid to try and stop some of these companies from going out of business but in the meantime i suppose there is a, a, you know tremendous fear i suppose that over the the, the winter months we could they, they that they could see a lot of those ga, uh, electricity suppliers um going out of business uh, and which could be very bad news obviously for consumers as well yeah, and one of the startling things I read during the week was that they could end up mandating three-day work weeks instead of five-day work weeks. Has there been a situation where companies over there are balking, particularly, say, multinationals? Like We've seen the Business Post report on some multinationals here being unhappy with what's happening with our grid. But if they're in an acute crisis there, um, what are kind of the big players saying? Well, I suppose one specific thing we've seen from a multinational over there is uh, CF Industries, which is one of the main kind of fertilizer makers in in uh, in Britain. I think it produces forty percent of, of of fertilizer that's used in Britain, or something like that. Um, that's a US company that has basically just pulled out of Britain as a result of these uh, wholesale gas uh, spikes, uh, and this is having a knock on effect as well on other industries because uh, obviously it creates fertilizer. And I, I, this is something I learned this week. I'm not going to pretend <laughs> like I. <laughs> I knew how this process worked beforehand but uh, because fertilizer is made from an ammonia nitrate one of the byproducts of that is obviously carbon dioxide I say obviously but it wasn't <laughs> particularly obvious to me until I read it but um, so uh, carbon dioxide is obviously used in a lot of different things including dry ice which is used you know to keep goods cold while they're being uh, transported and that sort of thing so so you're happy seeing this huge knock-on effect just from this one company deciding that it's it's going to have to leave the British market altogether as a result of these skyrocketing wholesale gas prices and they're being bailed out by the UK or that's the deal at the moment being worked out yeah there's a there's I think there's a discussion about that because I suppose one of the the, the the significant issues here as well, and I suppose is where Brexit comes into it, um, is that it, it's been harder for Britain to import uh, carbon dioxide as a result of Brexit. So there, there may have to be some sort of a rec- rescue package for this for this uh, for this um, CF Industries, this this company. So yeah, so it's 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 kind of this knock on effect, this ripple effect that you're seeing across industries. Yeah, a worrisome one, Mwirin. How exposed are we in Ireland to that type of crisis? So I mean. You know, one of the one of the things that's hardest to research is security of supply because um you have an awful lot of unknowns. You have known unknowns and you have unknown unknowns. So um this is where you just don't know. Um but I suppose what I would say is we are we do get an awful lot of our electricity from gas. And the reality is um if you know, if, if okay, worst case scenario, if the gas supply were to just be completely shut off, we would be in huge trouble. Um, and that has always been the case, and that will continue to be the case, no matter how much wind we put on the system or whatever. That's just the way it is. Um, similarly, if kind of something awful were to happen to one of the electricity interconnectors, um, we'd also be in some trouble. Not as much trouble, um, but prices might go very high, and we might find it hard to, to balance um, the, the system because we actually export almost as much as we import, really. 
and so it, we just cut that off to us um, but the in terms of the the particular pressures facing the companies um, we don't have that kind of price cap that they have in uh, in GB we have some price caps in our wholesale market but they're kind of different so I don't think there's kind of talk about happening yet having said that um, you know, every September for a couple of years now, I've been listening to conversations about people saying, oh, things are looking bad this winter, things are looking bad this winter, and every winter they've looked a little bit worse. Um, and this is certainly the worst I've seen. Uh, but I think um, there are a couple of things, like, um, like we were talking there about kind of pandemic Brexit, everything is kind of coming together. So it might just be that we just have a, a few bad anomalies coming all at once, and, and hopefully um, things will kind of work themselves out um, before next winter, but who knows? Yeah, one of the things you've both mentioned a little bit is um, our wind and how there was less wind, re- renewable energy from wind created. Um, are we particularly reliant on wind? Um, is is it something that we should be looking at diversifying a little bit more in, or should we just be doing more wind or, or a different type? Um, so there's kind of two two sides to that question. So first of all, wind obviously only generates electricity. And one of the things that people kind of forget is that electricity is only one source of energy demand, and it's only about 20% of our total energy demand. Um, we still have to heat our homes and our buildings, our commercial buildings. Um, we still have to, to transport ourselves around the place. Um, and heating and transport are each about roughly 40%. So electricity is actually the smallest portion of energy demand if you look at those three sectors. Um, now, within the electricity sector itself, wind is kind of the target for 2020 was 40% of our electricity demand to come from wind. And we got close enough, and but the target for 2030 is 70%. But then, of course, we do need to have um, enough uh, conventional generation on the system to still meet the demand for those hours when there is no wind. Uh, we're seeing good growth in solar. There are certainly specific policies and efforts to diversify within the renewable portfolio. And um, where we're maybe not looking to diversify as much as we could or should is around our renewable targets in general. In, in, in Ireland, if you look at the Climate Action Plan, there's kind of only one game in town, which is you shift as much of our transport as possible to electric, you shift as much of our heating as possible to electric, and then you just get the electricity itself to be renewable. Um, and that's somewhat unusual in a European context in that we, I mean, on transport, there's not much else you can do vis-a-vis renewables apart from maybe biofuel. Um, but it's there's a big push for electric cars. There's less talk around micromobility. So maybe small personal electric vehicles, walking more, cycling more. And then on the heating side of things, um, there's, you know, kind of, there really hasn't been much of a question over things like renewable hydrogen. Should we maybe try to get some renewable gas into our network? Should we be looking at anaerobic digestion? Up until now, that has really just been written off as too expensive. And there's no doubt about it that it is very expensive, those kind of methods of, of heating. But the flip side is, if we want to electrify our heating, then we have to insulate all of our houses. And that in itself is very, very expensive to get all the houses in the country up to a B2 level, say. So what I would say is within the renewable sector itself, we certainly are quite reliant on wind. And I wouldn't be so concerned about that. But if we did want to diversify, I'd be saying we should probably diversify the rest of our electricity portfolio a bit in that maybe we shouldn't be as reliant on gas. And then we should also maybe diversify our renewables policy in general 
in that maybe we shouldn't be so reliant on electrification of transport and heating and maybe we should be looking at different ways of decarbonizing our transport and our heating other than just moving everything electric. Yeah, because obviously if there's going to be crises in electricity prices and we're doing way more things by electricity, we're, we're overexposing ourselves or is that too simplistic? Exactly, yeah. No, no, the, I, we're putting an awful lot of eggs in this electricity basket and then just hoping that the electricity itself goes green. Yeah, and the other kind of big, well, it won't be an elephant in the room for, for very long, but data centers, you've already mentioned um, that they do put pressure on our grid here. Are they the core of the problem? And I'm also interested, and I was reading about this a little bit during the week to try and get an answer, is, that, is this problem unique to Ireland or do other countries obviously have data centers as well? Are they experiencing the, these same pressures? Um. So the other countries do have data centers, it's true, but Ireland has a huge number and, and an even larger number planned. Now, you have to, those kind of projections of how many data centers we'll have, you have to take them with a little bit of salt. There's kind of some double counting there, but it is true that, you know, the, the number of data centers we have and the number of data centers planned is really, really high by international standards. Various reasons for that. One of them is that our climate is quite favorable for data centers. And because our climate is on the cooler side, that means they don't have to spend as much money cooling the data centers themselves. Um, and then you just have to ask about the general kind of uh, policy environment. Um, data centers are kind of seen as being a good thing because these big tech companies are investing here. And I mean, it, you know, it, if you have a choice between a big tech company putting their headquarters here and putting a data center here, I know which one I would choose. Um, but are they the core of the problem? I wouldn't say so. I think they're just kind of one one piece in a jigsaw, but they're they're a big piece. Um, and one of the things about data centers is their demand is not very variable. So they they just kind of sit there and they just process the, the or they just store really um, data all day long. Um, and there's some variability around what they use. Um, but in some way, there are advantages to having a kind of a big, if you're going to introduce an extra few hundred megawatts of demand, you kind of like it to just be constant demand. Whereas if you look at the other sources of new demand, things like electric vehicles, things like heating, they're much more variable and they might contribute to the peak demand. And that's really not what we want because it's at these peak hours that we're seeing these supply crunches. And our other countries, so we've talked about Ireland and the UK, are other countries in Europe or further afield experiencing these same issues with long-term energy security as we are? So they certainly are experiencing the impacts of the spikes in gas prices right now. That's affecting everybody. Um, it's affecting everybody worldwide um, and, and within Europe in particular. Um, in terms of the particular supply crunches, I don't think it's as acute elsewhere. Um, the UK obviously has its own issues that we were talking about around the kind of Brexit and inflation and etc. Um, in Ireland, one of the issues is the fact that we actually have very little hydropower compared to the likes of Switzerland, Germany, even France, and then France also has a lot of nuclear. So Ireland has very small amount of hydropower and we've really tapped it out. So if we want to decarbonize our electricity sector, and we've ruled out nuclear for whatever reason um, and where our solar resource is better than you'd think but still not as good as the likes of Spain then we are kind of stuck with wind so that is certainly a particular challenge for Ireland versus these other countries. 
And so will we get to a point that we are better at putting offshore wind farms up and that that could alleviate, say, the, the, the problems that we're, we're having right now, taking into account what you said previously about heating and things outside of just the electricity demand? So uh, I'm going to flip that question a little bit if I can. Let me let me put it this way. If we want to meet these targets that we've set for ourselves, we certainly can't do that without significant offshore wind energy. Um, whether or not it'll happen, uh, there's been talk of it for a long time. Um, I, I'm not sure. It's certainly growing. It's a growth sector, but there's still a lot of uncertainty around kind of the policy environment, the support schemes, all of that kind of thing. Um, but I would say there will certainly be growth in offshore wind for sure. Um, will it grow to the extent that we will be 70% renewable electricity by 2030? I wouldn't be as sure of that one. I would watch this space. Yeah, the, the date's creeping up. Ian, just to get to get back to, to 2021, um, I said in my introduction that Leo Fracker, Michael Martin, Eamon Ryan, all the senior ministers um, were asked about it this week. What is the government planning over the course of the next few weeks and months to make sure that we um, don't see um, massive electricity bills coming through the doors um, of people who can't afford them? So I, I think the in the immediate short term, the, the plan or I suppose the hope is that these two power plants will be back up and running. And um, that's Whitegate and Cork and, and, and Huntstown in Dublin. Eamon Ryan indicated that they'll be back in, in, in the next two months. But I mean, it, it does seem crazy how reliant we are on these two plants, uh, g- given the fact that um, th- they were shut down for maintenance as a result of what was, I think, described as uh, unexpected equipment failure on a, on, on a large scale as well. Um, but, but we are very reliant on those two. So the hope is that they will be back in the next two months. Um, and then I suppose in the context of this uh, gas, uh, uh, the you know skyrocketing gas prices, um, what Eamon Ryan said during the week there was that the government would look to kind of increase things like the fuel allowance, the living alone allowance uh, in the budget next month. Uh, and that's the kind of thing that they'd have to look at was a kind of a social welfare response. So, so that's very much in, in the short term. And Eamon Ryan and Michal Martin both said that we won't be facing blackouts this winter. Um, but Leo Varker did say that next winter might be even tighter. Um, we're in. Is there any way of predicting these things or making sure that we're not having these same conversations in 2023 or 2024? There are some things you can predict. So um, shifts in demand tend to be not necessarily more predictable, but you can kind of see them coming down the track. So obviously something like a data center is not constructed overnight um, and even shifts in you know shift towards electric vehicles you can see the sales ramping up say and you can see um, what's probably going to happen as regards the demand um, so however on the supply side is when things big things can happen that you weren't expecting so for example not one but two large gas plants going out and um, there's no guarantee that won't happen again um, and then even within the network um, itself so the there's a kind of a need to greatly strengthen the transmission between the republic of ireland and the north of ireland just in terms of the kind of the two different systems there and there's been a plan to build the north south interconnector for quite some time and it's been beset by all sorts of delays so even that means that um you're, you're more likely to see supply issues in the north but the way these things kind of work technically together you can kind of a, a crunch in one area can have knock-on impacts to the rest of the system. It just means everything's not as, as, as secure and as reliable. So I would say particularly on the data centers, I wouldn't be surprised if um, if there was maybe a cooling of attitudes there um, with an eye to winter 2022, 23 and beyond. 
Uh, but apart from that, I'd say it's just going to be a case of um, let's just keep an eye on how things roll out and uh, fiddle around um, as necessary. Yeah, and it might be a catalyst for uh, consumers and, and politicians alike to pay more attention to things like COP26 coming up or uh, responsibilities under climate change deals, etc. because obviously all of this is interconnected. Absolutely, yeah. And in particular, energy efficiency. I mean, uh, I mean I'm mean, i a bit of a nerd. Sometimes I say to my husband, you know, oh, let's stick the dishwasher on. And then I say, oh, hang on a sec. We'll wait another hour or two for the peak to have gone off the system. And he just rolls his eyes at me. <laughs> um, and I mean, we don't, we're not on a night saver tariff or anything like that, but that's just me trying to do my bit to ease pressure on the, on the system. And maybe that kind of thing will become slightly more ubiquitous. Maybe it won't just be energy nerds like me. And maybe in general, we'll start to, to shift our demand a little bit. Small shifts can actually make a big difference on a system like Ireland. Um, so more consumer involvement as more and more people get their smart meter installed. It would be great if we started to see a bit more responsive demand from the consumer. But to be honest with you, um, it's it's hard to predict, and I wouldn't I wouldn't bet on it. I wouldn't bet on that happening in time. But if people did, it would be great. So if you did want to be the utmost responsible citizen, what time should you be putting your dishwasher on it? I would say, unless it's super super windy, I would say maybe wait until after eight o'clock. Okay, perfect. And they're loud sometimes, so. Exactly. just before you go to bed (laughs) but not while you're in bed because that can be unsafe yes great Mirren Ian thanks so much for explaining all that to us and probably eased a few fears or definitely around this winter probably around next winter and you know uh, hopefully a bit of action on a policy and political level as well as from consumers and ourselves at home can see things change into the future thanks so much for joining us on the explainer today Thank you for listening to The Explainer and a big thank you to Ian and Wirren for joining us for the episode. This episode of The Explainer was brought to you by producers Nikki Ryan and Aoife Barry. It was edited by Laura Byrne. If you would like to support The Explainer and what we do here, there's a few things that you can do. Head to thejournal.e forward slash contribute to become a monthly subscriber. You can also leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's a really great way to make sure other people can discover and listen and love it too. Thank you. Catch you next time.